There's a classic trope in fiction that a criminal hacker somehow gets information that allows them or their team to take down a power grid of a major city. The reality is much more complicated. But to say that something like that can never happen, well, that's not correct either. Don't believe me? From December 2016, here's the CBS Evening News. Nearly a quarter of a million people lost power in this small Ukrainian city when it was targeted by a suspected Russian attack last December. Vassal Pemchuk is the electric control centre manager and told us when hackers took over their computers, all his workers could do was film it with their cell phones. It was illogical and chaotic, he told us. It seemed like something in a Hollywood movie. The very concept of criminal hackers taking down the power grid of a world capital does seem like the plot of a Hollywood movie. So the reality is, is that there was a team of criminal hackers, and like all intrusions, this attack didn't just start in December 2016. It began months before it was executed. Here's Robert M. Lee, CEO of Dragos on Vice TV. So it all started about six months previous to December, about six months previous, uh, there was phishing emails sent out. So operators at the power grid were getting emails about a variety of different events going on in Ukraine. When they opened up the email, a piece of malware called Black Energy 3 was dropped to the system. That enabled the attackers to steal off credentials, usernames, passwords, things like that from the network, and then were able to come back in. Over that six month period, they spent that time researching and understanding the environment. So it wasn't this story that we hear sometimes thrown around about light speed, net speed, cyber attacks, you know, no. It was human adversaries doing research in the environment. So the attack starts. When they did that, they also had a piece of malware called KillDisk positioned on the systems. So that when the systems reboot, it would kick off deleting all the files and deleting all the systems. Wow. So while the operators are trying to recover, they're also dealing with the fact that all their systems are going down. And then in the midst of all that, they basically blew the bridges to those substations. So this was a coordinated attack over months with an arguably political goal in the end. But to protect these systems, we need to understand these systems. So there's a need, a definite need, for information security professionals to have access to industrial control systems. Not virtual, but the actual hands-on systems. So they can learn. In a moment, I'll introduce you to someone who is trying to do just that, to bring ICS equipment into security conferences. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm discussing industrial control systems, not just the power plants, but hospitals, and even the odd cookie factory as well. We'll also find out more about someone says an attack on a critical infrastructure. What does that really mean? And we'll hear about the ICS Village, not just at DEF CON, but also at RSAC and other security conferences. Perhaps no legitimate discussion of industrial control systems can be had without discussing Stuxnet. Kim Zetter's book, Countdown to Zero Day, is perhaps the definitive book on this subject. 
In it, she describes not only the political backdrop, but also the technical details. Stuxnet targeted supervisory control and data acquisition systems. Instead of just targeting zero days on Windows machines, which it did, it then went on to infect Siemens Step 7 systems, causing the fast-spinning centrifuges in Iran to tear themselves apart. It was a masterful piece of malware, carefully crafted to achieve a very specific goal. And there are a handful of researchers who worked at the time to understand how it functioned. Here's Liam Omerchu of Symantec on 60 Minutes. Any municipal facility that would facilitate building a threat like this? An intelligence agency, probably. Probably. Who has an interest in uh, setting back the Iranian nuclear program. Yes. That narrows it down quite a bit. It does narrow it down and you can see straight away the political motivation there. Uh, essentially, yes, what Stuxnet is trying to do is it's trying to uh, slow down or stop the uh, enrichment of uranium which can be used for uh, atomic bombs. Were you ever concerned about your safety? Uh, this is the first time we've ever analyzed something that was so politically charged. We were looking for details about uranium enrichment facilities when we were doing our research. So it was, there was times when we, were, when we were worried, yeah. At one point you told a colleague, if I turn up dead and I committed suicide on Monday, I just want to tell you guys I'm not suicidal. Yes, well, I was joking at the time, but those sort of thoughts were occurring to us, that we may be followed or that people may be interested in the information that we have, and they may not want us to uh, disperse the information that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, or they may be interested to, know, to find out how much we know, how close are we to finding out who's behind this. Uh, so those were the sort of things that were on our mind. We were thinking that we may have some information here that people don't want discussed or that they would be interested in finding out how much we know. For me, Stuxnet was the first time I heard the term Programmable Logic Controller, PLC, and it became a part of my everyday vocabulary after that as did Siemens Step 7, the name of the operating system that had been attacked by Stuxnet. Of course, our guest on this episode, he already knew all that. My name's uh, Tom Van Norman. I am co-founder of ICS Village. The ICS Village is one of the original villages at DEF CON. Think of a room in a larger conference where people with like interests gather to hear speakers, to see demonstrations, and participate in themed Capture the Flag events. A village is like a mini-conference within a larger conference, and it's not just at DEF CON. ICS Villages are also at RSAC, Hack the Capital, AvengerCon, B-Sides, and many, many more. So, what exactly is meant by an industrial control system? Industrial control systems are the systems that every industry is going to use, from your, your manufacturing to your chemical, your food and beverage, your power plants, uh, they, they are the systems that bridge your physical world, your pumps, your valves, your motors, robots, things like that, to a computer world. So we're taking the physical, physical inputs and outputs, connecting them to some sort of a, some sort of controller, and that's where all, all of our programs are, are, are kept, are, are, are created to, to automate things, to control things, to make things happen. Uh, say whether it's keeping the lights on or changing your 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 stoplights and, and you know your intersections to making clean water, uh, 
they are found in every industry in some shape or form. At the time of this podcast, there is renewed fighting between Ukraine and Russia, physical war, but also war over the internet. So just with everything going on with Russia and Ukraine and, and everything, you know, that's, uh, that's all in the news as it should be. Just today, the article came out, I believe it was DOJ, that they released uh, about the critical infrastructure hacker from Russia. It's real. It's, uh, you know, we've been saying this stuff for 20 years now that critical infrastructure has been under attack and everything. We, we, we have incidents. There's certainly, you know, an, enough use cases or, you know, an, enough articles out there, but now it's, uh, now it's getting real. Now we have it coming home. We can't go a month, weeks really without seeing more activity groups that, that are, that are being released from, you know, different companies for the longest time. I think it's been, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Now that it's here, we, we get phone calls, emails, inquiries all the time. What can we do? If you haven't done anything in the last two years, you're not going to be able to do anything today. People are, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of companies that are, all right, how do I start? Get in line with everybody else. That they, and, and it's unfortunate uh, that it's like that, but everybody is talking about it now. And a lot of these systems do not use the familiar Linux, Mac, Windows operating systems. That is correct. So th these are... Uh, these are all embedded systems running some kind of RTOS or real-time operating system. Occasionally, you'll find a, a you know Windows embedded. You'll find uh, some sort of Linux, but th these are all usually sandboxed off from the user. Uh, you know, for the user, the engineer, or the technician that that's going to set these up and program them, or even the operators going to interface with them, they're going to have some kind of graphical interface. Uh, they don't really have access to the to the operating system behind to make any changes to make any updates the updates are done through firmware uh firmware updates that you get from the vendor so one of the myths i learned in talking with tom that industrial control systems are not often the power grids or the water district it's more the concept of process control the process control uh Part of it. That's where your your water plants come in. That's where your your chemical, your oil and gas, your big manufacturing facilities. That's what they're going to do. They're going to take your your field devices. Say it's a level in a uh, in a in a tank. They're going to put that into your control system. They're going to start and stop that pump. They're going to you know open and close a valve to maintain a level, uh, or to you know speed up a a conveyor line or or do something. But your, your process control part is, uh, you know, we're manufacturing things. Sometimes there's this feeling that the sky is falling. A part of that, I think, comes from the Hollywood idea of what such a hack would look like. You know, the entire East Coast being blacked out all at once. Here's the thing. The power grids, they're really not interconnected. That type of scenario that we know doesn't necessarily have to happen because the systems really aren't hooked up in that particular way. I hate to say anything is impossible, uh, especially with, with the, the actors that we're seeing today and, you know, things that are, that are going on. Uh, probable? No, it's, it's highly, highly unlikely. Uh, but, you know, I, I think everybody is really cautious to say, no, that'll never happen. Uh, 
you know, we, we just look back at COVID. Uh, who would have thought that the world shut, would shut down the way it did two years ago? So I think people are really hesitant to saying, no, that'll never happen because in the last two years we've seen that'll never happen, happen. Uh, but it's that balance, right? It, it's, it's a balance between debunking that myths and all of that to explaining the risk, explaining the probability, explaining what can, what can happen and, you know, in, in an honest way. I think the nuances here are much more interesting than the fiction that is being told. You know, it isn't the blackout scenario. It's the individual pieces of it that fall apart and become a nightmare for that company or that utility. You know, everything is depending upon everything now. Just look at shipping, microchips. Who would have thought that we would have a supply chain issue due to a due to microchips like we do today? If we follow that back, you know, it's going to go back to just a couple components, a couple things that just aligned up and, and happened correctly that impacted so many different industries. That you know, explaining that, showing that. And thinking outside the box on, on, hey, what happens if this does happen, if that substation over here does go out? Uh, yes, we have a smaller blackout or a smaller you know, area that that's impacted. But what happens when uh, you lose that microchip or, or something else? And now that just the cascading effect is that is just tremendous. Just the whole supply chain issue is huge. So we're talking a little bit about some of the consequences of what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia and so forth. There was this Viasat that was attacked. And the consequence may have been that German wind turbines were affected. But in reality, that was just the monitoring of the turbines. The turbines themselves are working just fine. That subtle nuance is sometimes missed in the news. And to me, it's a lot more interesting. Would it be newsworthy if it was completely uh, factual? Probably not. Probably not to the masses, but you know, to to the, to the person looking for their details, it, it is. You know, we go back to a you know, we look at Colonial probably what eighteen months ago now. That intrusion happened billing. It didn't happen in the control system, but they're interconnected. In June 2021, malware caused the Colonial Pipeline, which provides gas to the southeast corner of the United States, to shut down in abundance of caution. Here's the PBS NewsHour. The federal government today confirmed that a Russian criminal group is behind the hacking of a crucial energy pipeline. The Biden administration said it is working with the Colonial Pipeline Company to deal with the cyber hack and its effects. Colonial shut down its pipeline, the largest of its kind in the U.S., after the company learned it was the victim of this cyber extortion attempt. William Brangham is back now with the latest on that story. Judy, the FBI said a group known as DarkSide is responsible for this cyber attack, which used what is known as ransomware. Ransomware is malicious computer code that blocks an owner's access to their computer network until a ransom gets paid. Colonial operates a 5,500-mile-long pipeline that carries almost half the jet fuel and gasoline that's delivered along the East Coast. The company has so far refused to say whether it paid any ransom, but said it hopes to be largely back online by the end of this week. So far, the impact on gas prices has been small. But this attack is just the latest example of ransomware incidents in the U.S. By one estimate, in just the past year, more than 113 federal, state, and municipal agencies, 500-plus health facilities, and more than 1,600 schools, colleges, and universities have all been attacked with ransomware. 
They don't know what happened, if anything happened to the control system. They couldn't track things. There's things that, that was going on there. So they decided to shut that pipeline down. The hack was on that pipeline. As far as I know, everything I've seen, there's there was no bad actors or adversaries on that pipeline. It happened in the billing system. They decided to shut it down. So just the the interaction and the interdependencies is just amazing right now. You uh, think about shipping, a, a manufacturing company uh, making a widget, pallets come off the line there. Well, if their warehouse program or if their shipping program can't make the labels to put that pallet where it needs to go or what truck it needs to go, that manufacturing line has to shut down because there is no space. They just can't stack up pallets that don't have labels on them. What's in there? That shipping system is not part of your industrial control system. It's on the corporate network. But without that printer, that, that label printer, your entire process is shut down. But even something like Stuxnet, where the United States may have had a hand in its creation, you needed to cross an air gap. You needed to go into a very proprietary system of machine and then disable that. As long as systems are air-gapped, we're okay. Or, well, no, actually Stuxnet is proving the opposite to be true. You know, the, the whole thing about air-gap systems are, there are none. You know, an air-gap system is just a, a high-latency network connection. Uh, at some point in time, you are you you have to cross, cross that boundary with a USB or a, a, seat, a burnt DVD or something. You have to get information in and out at some point in time. Uh, and when that happens, as we've seen with Stuxnet, uh, you know, that, that USB drive contained, it needed to go in and it got in. That was, uh, we're probably going to 10 years ago now for Stuxnet. And we still refer to it. We still reference, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So do other nations then look at these attacks and try to learn from them? Do these events in other countries spark concern here in the United States or in Europe? I think we're we're all learning. If you're if you're not learning from it, it's a missed opportunity, a huge missed opportunity. Uh, how, how often do you have a one country invade another country, and you know a, a superpower invade a neighbor? Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where watch and listen, learn, and and everything. Okay, so let's talk about the ICS Village a little bit. How did it come about? It seems to me that it was one of the first villages at DEF CON. Yes, so I think we are going on our eighth year now. I had to look back. It might be nine years now, but we'll go with, we'll go with eight. Uh, so we, we were one of the first ones uh, that, that came about. Uh, you know, there, there at that time, there was a... Few other ones. The uh, the wireless village has been been around quite some time. Uh, there's other ones such as the car car hacking village and 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 stuff. But uh, sure. so the 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 ISIS village started uh, say about eight eight years ago at DEFCON to bring education, awareness, and exposure to industrial control systems, technology, security. Uh, it started because we we we, we would go to conferences and. Where we read articles and and uh, you know magazines, newspapers, whatever, and people were talking about hacking control systems, hacking PLCs, and what we quickly realized is they don't they they've never touched a PLC. 
they have no idea what these control systems are, how they work. They're security researchers. Uh, now that that maybe they got firmware, or maybe they, they found a program or something somewhere, and it's legitimate work, but it's pretty. Uh, it became pr pretty obvious pretty quickly that people don't know what those controllers or what what a PLC is or what a control system is. So we decided to put together ICS Village and around the world now, uh, we, we do international events now and expose people to control systems, to the technology, to security, uh, what happens uh, or ha how these systems go together, why, why they do what they do, how they work and things of that nature. So who is attracted to this village? We, we, uh, we get people all over from, uh, you know, students in academia, we, we get uh, controls, People that work on the control systems, the engineers and the technicians who want to learn more about security. We get the infosec uh, people that that uh, you know maybe they work on enterprise systems. We get them that that come because they want to learn more about OT security. We also get the uh, ICS security community that comes to understand more how things work and or different vendors. Uh, how, how they play in with, with everything. And, you know, the audience is pretty, is pretty wide, which is, which is fantastic. We have from technicians all the way to uh, upper management to, you know, senior leadership and companies that get involved. So I wonder what is the barrier to entry for someone who is interested in this? For example, I have a laptop and it runs Linux, so I can get into network security. I can do those basic things. But if I want to do some ICS work, what do I need? How do I go about going to eBay and buying some equipment? How would that even look? So the uh, we, we get that question all the time. Where do I start? How do I start? Uh, you know, you can go to eBay. You can buy the stuff. The problem going to eBay and buying a controller is uh, now you need the software. Uh, you know, a lot of times the software is not free. You're not going to find the software normally on eBay, so you have to go back and find where the distributors are, how to buy that software. Uh, a lot of it's, it will spend all of it's preparatory, so you have to, there's a learning curve with that. Uh, there's a huge cost in, in everything. Going to an ICS Village event, uh, we, we, we expose you to all that. We have trainers that, that we bring uh, running, for, you know, give out a, a little USB with, a, with, with all the required software on it. It's kind of crazy because we're at a security conference and we're giving a USB with, us, with, with you know, it always has a, a Ubuntu VM runs on it. And uh, people gladly take and put it in their computer and run it. And you have to question that. But they're, they're, they're so eager to, to learn it and, and, and to do it. Uh, and, and a lot of people, you know, have burner laptops at conferences anyway. So maybe they just aren't worried about it. Uh, there's more and more colleges, uh, colleges, university, community colleges that are that, that have programs now. Uh, there, there's also so many virtual conferences uh, you know, one of the things that, that came out of COVID is everybody's doing hybrid this year. Uh, I can't think of any that are completely, well, I guess it's probably a, f a few 
totally virtual ones out there, but hybrid conferences. And a lot of the hybrid ones are, are for free. Uh, occasionally you'll find one that, that, that are not, but there's a, there's quite a few that, that, that are for, for free. Uh, but, but back, back to your, back to your initial question there, uh, eBay. Sure. The, the ramp up time though is pretty long. Uh, we, we, we find people all the time that, Hey, I bought this thing off of eBay. Can you help me set it up? I'd love to help you set that up. But it's going to take us, you know, six hours to set that thing up because we have to get the software. We have to, you know, just to, to spend on time. So, come to one of the ICS Village events. We'll we'll expose you to all of that. We'll, we're going to be bringing our trainers around now to different different events uh, this year. Interact with it, uh, and you know, go go uh, go from there. One of the things about the village is that you have physical model. I remember visiting the village and there was a model of a water treatment plant and you can manipulate it and see the results immediately in real time. That, that, that display that, that you're referencing, uh, we, we, we take that globally. We had that before the world shut down a couple of years ago, we had that in Kuwait. Uh, so we went from, uh, you know, Pennsylvania where, where it's, where we had at the time, all the way to Kuwait and back. But that, that goes to a, a lot of our conferences. Uh, we are working on some smaller kits where we don't have to uh, sh ship that, that large one. But the, the, the nice thing about that is it shows people how, how the control systems go together, how, how the process actually works. Uh, you know, we mentioned process automation before where you know, we, we do have level transmitters and, and three-phase pumps and variable frequency drives and how those systems all work with one another. Uh, we have vendors, different vendors in there from, you know, Phoenix Contact, Alan Bradley, to Siemens, to Schneider, to Dragos and Clarity and Zomi. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on with the, uh, with the different technologies that we show, how, how they all come together, how they work, why they're important, why some of them aren't that important. So that's also another uh, important thing to, uh, you know, debunk some of the myths that, that are out there. Uh, some of, some of the marketing stuff, uh, certainly not to throw shade on anybody, but maybe you don't really need all of those things that are being sold. best ways to learn is through experience, I think. And when you can't have a working model, you can have what's called a capture the flag. Now, there's competitive capture the flag, as you see at DEF CON every year, but there's also Jeopardy style capture the flag, which is more for learning. And in this case, it's themed around an incident that has happened. And as you progress down the board to the more challenging questions, you're actually solving the larger problem. In the case of RSAC 2021, the IOC Village presented a cookie factory that had been disabled. Yes. So the uh, for, for for RSA coming up, uh, we we have a, a a couple couple cool things that we're doing. We're doing a, a tabletop uh, tabletop exercise that's uh, I believe an, an hour long, uh, max of thirty people for 
a conference that we just finished uh, this week. Uh, we did the Cookie Factory Capture the Flag, and uh, with, with with that, uh, you know, the C Capture Flag is all all virtual now. We went from uh, only hosting it at a conference to now when we're at a conference, we uh, we run it for the conference, but it's open to it's open to anybody. But the, the, the Cookie Factory CTF is, is pretty neat because it has some reverse engineering in it. It has a basic cybersecurity into it. It really has, it has modules or challenges for, for all skill levels, all everyone can go in there and play it. The way we designed it is we have hints. The more hints you take, the more points get deducted from your, your, your challenge. But the more hints you take, it gets you more closer to that answer. So if you're in it to, to win it, uh, you don't want to take any hints unless you really need to take hints. If, if, if you're in it to learn things, take those hints because uh, it's going to give you, it's going to lead you right to that answer without giving you the answer. So it's, it's worked out very well. And, it, and it's great to see people spend hours going through this. And we, we get statistics on how many people finish questions, how many people get wrong, things of that nature. And, and when you when you look at them, like, hey, this person is in it to learn uh, learn things, which, which is pretty uh, pretty cool. And, you know, gratification there that people are using it to learn. So I wanted to know more about this Cookie Factory CTF. Hacktheplanet.ctfd.io is where you go to to, to play this at a conference. So what 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 happens is our, our cookie our cookie factory shut down. We can no longer operate the cookie factory. We have to go through and uh, figure out why why that process stopped. Players have to go and start answering these questions in in a chronological sequence. We have easy questions all the way up to harder questions. And to give you an example of some of the questions. We have a, everybody starts out with initial access category, so we 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 have uh, you know C C two server addresses that we give a PCAP out and look at that network traffic and figure out where the C two server is. Your breach happened. We want to identify what's going on, analyze that PCAP. We go to uh, a persistence module. So persons that or the the, uh, the adversary got got into your network. Now, how did they gain persistence? Well, this is where we're going to start analyzing some firmware. We're going to look at post-exploitation post tools. We're going to go and look at how are they, how, how, how is that adversary keeping that foothold in there? Then from there, we, we go to a, uh, we're, we're, we're brute forcing uh, username and passwords or credentials. Uh, so we, we, we give out log files and, and other artifacts in order to, to do that. Then we're going to do some lateral movement within the, uh, the network, uh, trying to identify what that lateral movement is, uh, how it's being done, and why it's being done. And then we're going to go through and, uh, you know, we're going to do some discovery on on that network. Uh, again, we give you some, some PCAPs. You have to identify uh, different assets in there, what those assets are used for. Uh, so the... The, the, the CTF really has a wide range, all, all, all the way down to exploitation. But the cool thing is we also have trivia. We have some basic things where, you know, we, we, we throw in there, 
if you're if you're getting hung up on say an exploitation or or a firmware challenge to keep people more engaged and moving uh we'll throw these trivia questions in th throughout the ctf it just breaks the pace up and you know if, if you're stuck on something we don't want you discouraged here is a trivia question that just has, has a little bit more fun to that to, to the game with uh with cisa uh you know we talked about their their partnership before uh they have uh, the seller skids that are they're out in uh Idaho National Labs, we have challenges for their skids also. So they uh, we go and they set up a remote connection in to their seller skids. We have questions in our our CTF uh, engine here that they answer, but they use their their physical hardware on. We also have some uh, I IoT stuff. So we have a one one of the other part that, that we have is a Grim, who's a founding member of it. They have Howdy Neighbor. Howdy Neighbor is an IoT house that we build the, uh, that we connect to the, to the CTF. Howdy Neighbor seems like a friendly enough challenge. However, it is a connected house. It's a smart house. So there's a lot that can go wrong. And it's up to you to find out how. Yep, it's a, it's a smart house. And uh, we have everywhere, anything from from uh, networking to crypto to hacking smart devices, uh, we we have a toaster that 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 tweets out to to uh, to players that we that we look for the tweet and then it tweets uh, part of the, the challenge. Uh, with with Howdy Neighbor though, Howdy Neighbor is is all I or smart house or I, IoT uh, technologies. So Grim built that uh, probably about five years ago now. And I say it's all commercial, off-the-shelf stuff that is built into the CTF. You know, it's web hacks, it's reversing, it's crypto, it's uh, things that you can things that you can hack. So, Howdy Neighbor is a uh, more hacking than the ICS part of it. The ICS part we go from from uh, securing the hacking to trivia to the, the a full, full circle of things here and same, same thing with uh the CISA part of this the uh the CISA skids we call them they're uh they're, they're, they're the same way they, they they have some hacking they have some defending and bring everything full circle the landscape for ICS is pretty broad. It includes infrastructure, which is run by the government in most cases, or utilities, and also private businesses that have manufacturing processes. So let's talk about the government side of things. There have been some partnerships for the ICS Village with the government. So we uh, we're, we're we're pretty excited about about those uh, about those partnerships. Uh, the the CISA one, uh, they have a uh, an escape room that they are going to bring to DEFCON uh, this year. Uh, we're also bringing uh, some of their, they, they call them seller skids to RSA. So they, they, they have some uh, fantastic programs that, that they're running that we are integrating with ISIS Village. So the, the nice thing about that partnership is it, it, it's mutual to both parties. We, we, we have a platform that they can go and, show their stuff uh we, we we both align a lot with uh you know community outreach and 
and stuff, stuff of that nature. Uh, so we're, we're really excited to, uh, to, to work with both organizations. Then there's the commercial side, the manufacturing. Yes. So with, with the commercial side, we get involved with a lot of different vendors. The, the, the vendors range from product control system vendors to, to security vendors such as you know, Nozomi, Dragos, Clarity, the, the, the network detection vendors. Uh, but we, we also get involved with vendors such as uh, Garland Technologies that, that go and produce span aggregation or ne- network visibility hardware. Working with the vendors really brings a different light to things. Uh, every, everybody has their point of view on what, why they're important or what they're doing is important valid points. However, we like putting everything into operation and showing people, hey, this is zero trust technology. This is how it works. This is, this is one of our sponsors, uh, you know, who, who have, a, you know, remote connection technology or zero trust technology or network uh, visibility technology. We can listen to marketing all the time. Uh, a lot of it's true. A lot of it you know, is needed, but now let's go and put it in a network and actually use it and show that end user, hey, this isn't a marketing pitch. We want to go out and show people how this technology works. And if they say, hey, this company, one of your sponsors meets that, that's great. Uh, But we don't sell anything. So with ICS, like any other part of information security, I'm wondering if the maturity is there today or if we're still learning. Some industries are a lot better than others. There's some industries that are very mature. There's some companies that are very mature. Uh, There's unfortunately a lot of companies that are not. Really depends on, you know, the the size of the company, the industry that they're in, uh, the, 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 the variables go on and on and on, but it's also... Not surprising when we go into a larger company and you find flat networks. You know, you find literally flat networks or, or outdated systems or email running on HMIs. Flat networks lack segmentation. That means that if somebody gains remote access to any piece of it, they can have the run of the entire organization. They can go from a vulnerability in the heating and air conditioning system onto the financials which is what happened when one of the target breaches. Some of this, I think, is legacy in ICS. Utilities are monopolies because who else is going to lay the miles and miles of wire and fiber optics if not the utility? And with a manufacturing plant, who else but the company would have access to that manufacturing center? But As Tom just said, there are cases where someone is running an email account on their human-machine interface, their HMI. And so, with the Internet, all of that now becomes accessible remotely. So, perhaps there is a part of this technological shock that these systems were originally designed to be isolated, and now today they are not isolated. And organizations with control processes, well... Maybe they just didn't realize how we're all interconnected 
they just didn't take into account the risk. I don't think that the consequences clearly defined or, or the risk is clearly defined all the time. So we, we talk about, you know, hey, that, that's really bad to have your systems configured that way. It is. It is bad. However, uh, it's not a risk that we have to accept. It's a risk that the customer or that the, that the owner has to accept. And if that risk isn't clearly explained or identified, uh, I think it, it just gets missed. It gets lost. Uh, historically, with InfoSec, it's been, hey, the sky's falling. We, uh, you know, we have to do this, this horrible thing. You know, it, it's a how, how, how can you run that? HMI with, uh, you know, Windows 7 on it still. Uh, or why didn't you upgrade that firmware or patch that? Well, I didn't patch that controller because there's no network connection to it. It sits on a, it sits in the control panel that, that does a one function. And I don't need to patch it. I don't need to do anything to it because it, uh, my risk is very low. Yes, it has a very high vulnerability Bad, bad vulnerability into it, but there's no connection anywhere. Uh, so it, it, it's that balance between explaining that risk and uh, or identifying that risk to the, somebody that has to own that risk. And as I said, it's not just infrastructure and manufacturing. There's also healthcare. When you think about it, the hospital is a huge ICS facility. So, you know, you, you go to a hospital and uh the amount of ICS in, in, in a hospital is just amazing from your, your building, your building management systems to your, your water, your power, your, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, those are all industrial control systems. They're the same systems that, you know, are going to run your, your, your chemical plant uh, codes different. However, the, you're, 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 you're going to find uh building automation controllers from, you know, the leading manufacturers at your, at, in your hospital, then you do in your skyscraper or your, your pharmaceutical plant. So your pharmaceutical plants have a uh, clean rooms. Uh, so you have, you know, positive negative air pressure to keep stuff out of your manufacturing environment. That hardware is the same type of hardware you're going to find in your hospitals. It all goes back to organizations and governments recognizing that risk comes in many different flavors. It doesn't have to be a digital Pearl Harbor event that shakes everybody to its core. It could be little things, such as the billing system at Colonial Pipeline that causes the problem. Yeah, the, uh, we're talking more and more about risk and interdependencies on, on systems uh, than we ever have. The it, it's extremely important to to, to talk about and, and to bring light that hey you 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 don't have to patch all your systems your systems don't need to be patched uh, not not all of them like I said the, uh, you have that control panel on the wall with no network connection on it that controller has a really bad vulnerability but it's not connected to anything it doesn't it sits there and it does its job and that's it where your other system uh, might not have any vulnerabilities, uh, known you know, known vulnerabilities in it. But if that thing goes down, your manufacturing just completely stops. So what's more important, patching that controller wall with no network connectivity, or making sure you have a backup of your your printer 
that has to print the shipping labels. So your manufacturing line can continue. Uh, it's all identifying the risks and uh, communicating them. So with the great shortage of information security professionals, are there enough people doing ICS work today? Or is there a massive skill shortage there as well? I don't think we'll ever have enough people. Is it a massive shortage? That's also uh, really subjective, I say. It, you know, the uh, my day job, uh, I try to hire people all the time. And, you know, we, we get applicants here and there. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I hate to say that we uh, it's a massive shortage. I hear that all the time. We need 100,000 people. We need, you know, tens of thousands of people. Where are they going to work? If we snap our fingers and say, okay, here, here's 100,000 more people that know about uh, InfoSec and, uh, you know, or uh, ICS I security. We, 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 we train them, we develop them. Here's 100,000 people. All right. What are they going to do? Where are they going to work? Uh, could we use them? Probably. But I don't think anybody's really thinking what happens when those people do appear. Yeah. I, is it a shortage? Yes. How big a shortage? I don't know. So if you're thinking of going into information security, is ICS security an up-and-coming field that you would benefit from? One of the things ICS Village does is, is the on the education end of it. We love to mentor and collaborate and, and bring in people with little to no experience and introduce them to things uh, so they can get a job in ICS security. The cool thing about it is it's not your typical, it's not your enterprise stuff. Now, now we have real things that are moving or you, you can see the stuff. You can, you can feel it. You can see it. And uh, it's not just your virtualized servers that you'd find on the enterprise side. It's a, uh, they're they're hot. They're cold. They're dirty. They're you know they they make noise, but they also produce something that we all need to survive. I I think that's uh, one of the things that drives or interests everybody that I know in, in in security is the stuff that comes out the other end. Does ICS require a specialized team to do this type of work? I mean, it's not just your basic network stuff. It's beyond that. You, you do need people with specialized skills or talent to do that type of work on, on control systems. One, you're dealing with health, life, and safety. Uh, if somebody, you know, you, you're, you're doing a, a penetration test on your, on an enterprise side and your corporate web page goes down, that's a bad day, especially if you're, you know, Amazon and your service, that's a really bad day. However, if you are a chemical company and you're doing pen tests and, they get into your ICS and they blow something up, that's, I'd have to say, probably a worse day. So it's a, you know, you have to watch the health, life, and safety part of that. You just can't go and take, take your laptop, run, you know, pick your favorite exploitation tool on that network. You know, you can't be scanning it and, uh, and, and doing, doing your test on there without knowing what you're doing, without a lot of coordination with the owner, the, 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 the operators and owners of, of that process. Uh, it goes back to health, life, and safety. Finally, are there some general best practices 
that could be issued for ICS? There's blanket best practices, but you know, the, the uh, from network hygiene to make sure you have your backups, but not only have your backups, but test your backups, make sure they work. Uh, and not, not just your software backups, but you have critical spares. Uh, it could be that it could be a PLC. It could be that label maker, that, that printer for, for your shipping labels. Make sure you have a, a backup spare. Uh, it might not be a cyber attack that's going to happen. Maybe it's a lightning. <clears throat> Maybe it's lightning. Maybe somebody hits it with a fork truck. Maybe somebody spills something on it. Uh, it things happen. Make sure you have your backups. Make sure both software and hardware, network hygiene. Uh, you have practice. Or you you have policies uh, that people are following. They are tested. Uh, and then you know down to incident response. What a what are you going to do when something does happen? Uh, you know the, the uh, we're seeing more and more threat hunting uh, engagements or people talking about threat hunting. You know try, trying to look find an adversary or you know bad things on their network ahead of time that's becoming a more more popular discussion right now test your test your secure your security controls make sure they work do that penetration test do that you know purple team uh test on everything i'd like to thank tom van norman for coming on the show and talking a little bit about ICS in general, but also the ICS Village, which he co-founded. Industrial control systems are those things in the background that we just don't think about. We take them for granted, but when they don't work, we notice them. They impact our lives, and sometimes it comes down to health and safety reasons as well. Learning more about ICS, then, is important. It could even be life-saving. So if you're considering a job in information security, you should check out the work that's being offered in ICS. If you need to learn it, there are places like the ICS Village. And if you need to learn on the job, I'm sure that's available as well. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative information security podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. I don't want you to miss out. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join me on Discord. You can find the deets at hackermind.com. The Hacker Mind is brought to you every two weeks, commercial free by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mind, I remain your human supervisory control and data acquisition system, Robert Vimosi. Mm-hmm.